0: Chicago Bears stats analysis on both sides of the ball. I bring on to Bears blog's Jonathan Wood to talk through various statistical aspects of the Chicago Bears 2019 season and what they mean for 2020. It's all coming at you on this episode of Bear With Me. What's up everybody and welcome back to Bear With Me, a Chicago Bears podcast hosted by yours truly, Robert Schmitz, right here on the Windy City Gridiron podcasting channel, where other folks are doing great work like Lester Wilfong, Jeff Burkus recently with his history series, and plenty of others. And today I've got a treat for you as one of my favorite recurring guests is coming back on the show to talk to us, Jonathan Wood from over at Bears blog, commonly known as Data on that site. Jonathan, how are you doing?
1: I'm doing well Robert thanks for having me on.
0: you know it well is a funny thing to say in this kind of time because I, I have to ask I, I certainly hope everything's going well because dealing with the virus is just another twist and turn every single week and I feel like I'd just be remiss if I didn't at least mention it everything going well as, about as well as it can on your end
1: Yeah, my wife and I are both teachers so we moved to uh, working from home. When this all started back in mid March, and don't have to go back to work till mid August or so, so that's when it'll really be the big test for us to see how things go. The new At school least. year starts,
0: and I can't even imagine the kind of transition that you had to go through moving from in class to e learning. I mean, I caught a bit of a break. I'm in the tech sector myself on my uh, on my day job, so when they sent us home. I would be lying if I said that there was much change at all. It was just not having to
1: come into the office, but is it easier to go about e-learning the second time around? Um. Well, I'm actually preparing for in-person right now, although oh. I'm gonna have a couple hybrid classes, so kind of a mix there with some e-learning. And yeah, it's been a lot of work this summer, which is usually I take a lot of time off and write about the bears, but I've been working kind of full-time all summer. Uh, Trying to prep my classes for the fall to be ready for e-learning should that need arise again. Makes total sense. A lot of work. Yeah,
0: I bet it has, and thank you so much for doing that. And speaking of the Bears, I mean, you couldn't have given me much of a better lead. And, th- you know, there's been a lot that happened throughout 2019, and every time I know I go back and watch the film, I'm glad we're not there anymore. <laughs> I'm glad we don't have to continue yeah. reliving that season. I'm about halfway through the Bears' week one game against the Packers again, and uh, every time I watch that one, I watched the Saints earlier today. There's just a whole lot of this rough. Uh, And one thing that I wanted to start the show off with, because I thought you did a great couple of articles on this, was your information and research on explosive plays. Because as any Bears fan would know that watched not only the 2018 season, but especially the 2019 season, the Bears' explosive play numbers were... Uh, let's call it sparse to be kind and almost non-existent if we were going to be a bit brutish about it it is wild thinking about how methodical this Chicago Bears offense has needed to be when it's at its best because they just don't seem to get chunk yardage can you elaborate a little more on that and talk about what you have found in regards to how necessary
1: explosive plays are in an offense yeah they're hugely important um Not to get too much into the math, but there's a pretty strong relationship between explosive plays and points scored. Or if you want to measure offense per DVOA from football outsiders, pretty strong relationship there, too, that about 50 to 60 percent of offensive performance is due to explosive plays. Um, So those big chunk plays really make a big difference because a lot of times, you know, you get one of those in a drive and you're already in scoring range. And if you don't get one of those in a drive, you're needing to piece together like those 10, 15 play drives where nothing goes wrong for a long time in a row. And well, as anybody who watched the Bears offense last year would know, that just didn't happen very much, that they could have a long string of plays where you didn't have somebody make some horrible mistake on one of them that killed the drive.
0: And I'm so glad that you phrased it that way because I know that I've been a hammer driving in the nail about how Trubisky struggled and I really don't want to focus on that any more than I know I have to. You've covered how you think Nick Foles is the starter. I know I've covered in great detail about how I think Nick Foles may be the better player but the point is like you said there were tons of mistakes all across the offense and it's kind of wild looking back just to see how many people screwed up in different areas. I know you did a little bit of work on the running game, uh, a little bit of work on the passing game, and we'll get to that. But when it comes to explosion and explosive plays, do you think that the Bears are going to be able to rebound in 2020, if you could call it that and generate more?
1: Yeah, I do. Um, I looked a couple weeks ago at how consistent explosive plays are for an offense from year to year, uh, looking at five years of data, and found that there is very little carryover from year to year. Only a few teams could remain like consistently explosive, and they were mainly the ones with really, really good quarterbacks. Mm-hmm. Everybody else just kind of bounces around. And so that's really good news for the Bears because – um, they were one of not just last year, they were the least explosive team, but they were one of the least explosive teams of the last five years. And, uh, teams that are that bad usually bounce back to around average the next year, just cause it's kind of fluky. And so we've seen in the past, like with most of the same personnel, they were around average in 2018. And I see no reason to think they can't be in 2020 if they can just play and produce better. I take it it's kind of like the idea that lightning never strikes twice. A lot of
0: times we hear that in a positive context, but based on what you're saying, is it fair to say we're hoping
1: historically bad doesn't happen twice in a row? Yeah, I think that's definitely it. Um, I think they were really, really hurt by the lack of a tight end last year. And especially Tariq Cohen's explosive plays just plummeted last year. And I think a lot of that has to do with defenses focusing on him a lot. And uh, because they didn't have to worry about tight end. So hopefully uh, between Jimmy Graham and Cole Komet, they can get enough out of tight end that it frees Cohen up a bit because he's probably the most um, like make an explosive play out of nothing guy on their offense.
0: Mm hmm. Now, I've been looking actually a lot personally into Tariq Cohen, so you couldn't have lined me up better. And it has been really interesting watching his film because something that I've seen is there's a lot more disjointed effort between Cohen and Trubisky than I thought I would have seen. What I'm talking about is... In 2018 especially, when Cohen would leak out of the backfield, he'd get the ball almost immediately, and he'd have, say, the extra two or three steps he needed to line up a defender one way to escape another. I know you've looked at broken tackles, but to to, to just highlight the point really quickly, if you take David Montgomery and Tariq Cohen, two fundamentally different running backs, is it really going to surprise you, Jonathan, when I say David Montgomery is a tackle breaker and Tariq Cohen is a tackle avoider? it's a bit different. His goal is to not get touched in the first place. And what Mm -hmm. is really interesting looking back at the film is I keep seeing moments. I saw one in the Saints game. I saw a couple in the Rams games where if Tariq got the ball a bit earlier, he might've been able to do something Mm -hmm. with it, but he didn't. He got it about a second and a half later than you would have expected. You may remember the famous one at the end of the first half of the Saints game. If you don't, that's okay. Most Bears fans have blocked this game out where Trubisky throws a ball that looks like it, it could have maybe been a wheel route, you don't really know because Tariq Cohen is looking back at him like, dude, what was that? And it seems as if when I go back and watch that, Cohen had his linebacker beat. The linebacker wasn't even looking at him. And the ball gets there ab- about two Mississippis after you would expect it to. And if it gets there on time, quote-unquote, and I'm when I say on time, I'm comparing that directly from what I've seen Nick Foles do distributing to – Coleman, can't remember the guy's first name, and Darren Sproles, it seemed like he would have been able to turn the corner and pick up more yards. How many yards? I don't know. Because if I've learned anything in the NFL, when a player breaks into open space, it's just open season. You have no idea how far they'll go sometimes. But at least maybe more yardage. So I don't know if I'm going to pin that necessarily on Trubisky or Cohen. I'll just say there was a lack of chemistry and leave it at that at the moment. But it is really interesting watching the way defense has changed that in 2018, they sat back and dared Trubisky to dink and dunk, whereas in 2019, they said, "But you got to beat us over the top. And a lot of times, it kind of looked like the Bears just weren't able to. Did you do any work on Trubisky in terms of deep passing? I know that plenty of advanced metrics have said that he wasn't successful there, but what have you seen, not only from film, but also statistics?
1: Yeah, um, I can't claim to be a film guru, guru, so I'm not going to go there and um, talk about things that I'm really not qualified to. But in terms of the stats, his efficiency throwing the ball deep didn't really change much uh, between 2018 and 2019. He was just pretty bad at it both years. The difference is he threw it deep a lot less in 2019. He actually had one of the higher rates of throwing it deep in 2018 of anybody I charted like 10 years of that for like long-term starting quarterbacks last year at about like 22 or 23%. I don't have the number right in front of me, but it was somewhere around there last year. He was more along the lines of like 16 or 17%. So that's like one to two fewer deep shots per game, but his completion percentage stayed like 38% each year, which was, bad average is like 42 and his yards per attempt dropped a little which means his deep shots were shorter deep shots less go routes and more of like deep posts and stuff like that
0: which is really interesting because I know that's something that you and I were talking about in the offseason last year about a real point of positive regression for Trubisky was likely going to be that deep completion percentage that's definitely not something we want to see in terms of them staying roughly at that same level uh, from year to year. And it doesn't help anything because I, I'm i looking at the numbers now, but I won't take the words out of your mouth. Is Nick Foles any better in the deep passing department?
1: Yes and no. Um, his completion percentage is likewise low, but he's got a better yards per attempt, more around average for deep passes, which means... He's completing fewer balls, but getting the same yards, which means he's throwing it deeper than a typical deep pass, right? I think the cutoff uh, for a deep pass is uh, 15 yards past the line of scrimmage, which, you know, anywhere from 15 to 50 is where a ball can be intended. And I know you had a great film breakdown of Foles a little while back that he likes to throw it up real deep when his guy's in single coverage and give him a chance. So those don't get completed at a very high rate, but when they do, they gain a lot of yards. That's actually a lot of what Trubisky did in 2018. He threw a ton of deep go routes, and those weren't there as much last year. No,
0: they certainly didn't seem to be. And not to mention, okay, if if I wanted to pick on him a little bit, and again, that's not what this show's about, we could talk about how any yards per attempt figure is going to get massively hurt when you can't complete some of those deeper balls like uh, the one of the Saints uh, thrown to Anthony Miller, the one against the Chargers thrown to Taylor Gabriel, the one against Kansas City thrown to Allen Robinson, the one against the Rams, I believe it was, thrown to Anthony Miller downfield, got deflected by a cornerback. Point is, a lot of those long walk-in touchdowns that – connects a little bit back to our explosive plays conversation when a quarterback completes those 75 yard touchdown 67 yard touchdown 55 yard score 45 80 you pile up those numbers and certainly boost your yards per attempt figure it felt like trubisky didn't get much in the way of yards per catch or i uh yak yak numbers that's what i'm looking for he didn't really generate much of that any chance you took a look at that and have a relativistic figure because the eye test says they weren't getting much.
1: Yeah, no. Um, uh, Next Gen Stats does a look at on a re- receiver by receiver basis um, at their expected yak yards after catch. Um, so based on when and where a player catches a ball, you know, if you catch it here, you're expected to gain five yards. If you expected he- if you catch it here historically, you're only going to gain two. Um, So they put like an average together based on all their catches and then see how they compare to that. And I think out of all the Bears targets they charted in the last two years, which is usually like the top three or four pass catchers, only one out of them like eight in two years has been average or better. They're all below average. And I'm not entirely sure if that's a quarterback stat or a receiver stat, probably a combo of both. But going back to what you were talking about earlier with trubisky Trubisky's passes coming out late. I think that was a consistent issue last year when I was watching the games live. He just always seemed to be playing tentative, which leads to that extra second of hesitation, which gives the defense that extra second to kind of catch up and takes away some of those yak opportunities.
0: Certainly, that's been something that I've had to learn, and I've been doing a ton of learning with uh, Bobby Peters. If Bears fans, if you don't know who Bobby Peters is, you got to go find him on Twitter. He's a coach who really knows his stuff. And literally, I'm going to hold it up just to prove that I have it. He wrote the book on the 2018 Chicago Bears playbook. And I've actually been poring over that thing to try to get a sense of what it is that the Bears are trying to do. And if you go back and you watch 2017-2018 tape of Nick Foles, and then you watch 2018 or 2019 tape of Mitch Trubisky, one thing that you'll see is... You would swear to it that Trubisky is a see it, throw it quarterback, much like Chicago's beloved Jay Cutler, which is a weird thing to say because we love him now. I felt like we didn't there for a little while, but moving on from that, Nick Foles is a timing thrower, so he's going to get the ball to where it needs to be when it needs to be there, which is, I mean, it's the essence of the West Coast offense. And it's kind of surprising because a lot of other systems, play action, for instance, or the Gruden— weird hybrid thing that he does it's a it's an interesting system that i don't have the name of off the top of my head they're much more conducive to that see it throw it style whereas in west coast the ball needs to be out at a specific time and hit the receiver's hands when it needs to be there or they just get swallowed by defenders and it kind of feels like the more i go back and look at 2019 timing may be more of an issue than a lot of us thought it was when we originally watched the season It. Let's be honest. It's so easy for the folks that aren't on the field to nitpick accuracy to say, oh, that ball needs to be a foot further here, or it needs to be here. Or we can look at a spread of receivers and say, that guy's open. Throw it to him And because we don't know the reads. But timing is something that you don't get a sense of on the broadcast. But on all 22, you can suddenly start to see that the receiver makes his break. There's this hesitation, and there's no throw. But then there's a throw – And now it's deflected. And it's something that I guess I would hope from the non-statistical angle, maybe this is part of why his air net yards per attempt is higher than Trubisky's traditionally, that Foles is able to bring to the Bears offense a sense of timing and consistency. Do you think there's any chance we could get that?
1: Yeah, I would certainly hope so. And I'm basing that opinion mainly on your video, Breaking Down Foles. (laughs) <laughs> um, uh, one thing I will say, I was able to go back and find the article I wrote. Um, I have numbers here on the yak yards for Trubisky versus Foles. Um, 47% of Trubisky's yards over the last two years have been yak, um, for Foles in the same offense. So from 2016 to 18 between Kansas city and Philadelphia it was 52%. Okay. So 5% difference there. Um, and Foles was in line with Alex Smith's, was 53% in Kansas City. So Foles, in that regard, uh, being more consistent with what we would expect to see from, a, I think of Alex Smith as kind of like the benchmark quarterback for that offense. We've seen mm-hmm. he's not like a Patrick Mahomes going to take it to the next <laughs> level, but he can <laughs> operate the offense efficiently and consistently. And I think the hope for Foles is that he can be, For Chicago, a poor man's Alex Smith. He's not as good, but he can do stylistically a lot of similar things.
0: Right, and that's something that I know I look at and I I get maybe more excited about than I should, given that we are just talking about Nick Foles. This is like being a Buccaneers fan and being really excited about acquiring Ryan Fitzpatrick or something. It fits the system, but it's not exactly a sexy pick at quarterback. Even so, one thing that I can't help but think about is... I, I have not been more interested in a topic recently than I have of the statistical regression of Tariq Cohen, who caught, I mean, he had 100 targets this year. He had crazy volume and produced, I think, less than 500 yards, if I'm remembering it correctly. And it's wild to think when you talk about Yak, about the difference between Alex Smith, Nick Foles, and Trubisky in the same system, how much of an impact the quarterback may actually have on a lot of the reputations of these weapons, that somebody like Tariq Cohen, who was dangerous in 2017, and a fide threat in 2018, even got that little Madden impact thing for whatever that means in the world of hype. In 2019, he, I'm not, I don't wanna call Cohen invisible because certainly defenses didn't treat him like he was invisible, but his statistics, I was reading an article just the other day, I think they were calling him historically inefficient just given how few yards he picked up with how many touches he had. And I would hope going forward that, I mean, besides the guys like Anthony Miller, who obviously I'm cheering for, besides guys like Alan Robinson, who I think are certainly guys that I want to see succeed, it's people like David Montgomery, Tariq Cohen. I guess it's kind of the running backs who I feel like feed off of the system's production and if you can inject more yards, I guess you could say, then they certainly stand to benefit from it. I guess to, to turn this thought into a question, is there anybody that sticks out to you that you say, I think if Nick Foles plays like I want him to, blank person will benefit the most? Because I have gone back and forth on this.
1: Mm. I would probably have to go with Anthony Miller. Over the last two years, I think, and I don't have stats to back this up just based on watching the games. I think he's probably the receiver who's been hurt the most by Trubisky's inaccuracy. Um, you know, it's kind of their wide receiver too. Allen Robinson can make up for some of that with a huge catch radius, which Miller doesn't have, but Miller's thing is he's able to run great routes and get open. And if he gets a quarterback who can hit him consistently on those, I think he's poised for a big year. I certainly hope
0: so. I mean, Miller is... I think his talent's kind of undeniable. The more I keep watching his film, it's it's really hard to come down on the guy. And I'm well aware that he freelances. It's very Antonio Brown-esque, in my opinion. A truly amazing quarterback, which Nick Foles is not, uh, would be able to turn that into a massive advantage. I think it's one of the huge assets <gasps> that uh, Ben Roethlisberger was able to bring to the Steelers. But... Given that, I also think that inside of the timing aspect of this West Coast offense, Anthony Miller is going to be able to thrive. It also won't surprise me, Jonathan, if Tariq Cohen benefits from it, because if the Bears can get a little bit further downfield, I mean, it's it's hard on a podcast to get this across, but I am amazed at how often I see the defense lined up in the following formation. One single high safety up top, Five guys in a line zone that are standing about seven yards off the line of scrimmage, just waiting for Bears to run hook routes and or collapse on Tariq Cohen underneath. And then whatever lineman underneath that likely blitzing. I think usually a five man blitz is what they threw at Trubisky on third down to try to get him to get the ball out quickly. And then they would just swarm the short throw and the Bears got nothing. I mean, there's just this shocking amount of times where it's like, Tariq Cohen loss of three and there was nothing he could have done about it. Tariq Cohen, gain of one and there's just not much he could have done about it. I don't know if Tariq Cohen stands to gain quite in the same manner as Anthony Miller where suddenly it's going to look like Miller's open a lot more because he's getting the ball a lot more. But I do hope, certainly, I think hope might be the operative word here, that Cohen will get that space that we know he's so effective in. There's an amazing amount of times that I'm seeing on film that if you give him just a crease in the defense, he can zip on through it, pick up seven yards. And no, those seven yards aren't going to break the back of a defense, but they help set up those shorter gains that when he gets a bigger swath of space, he does what he did against the Jets in 2018 and just sprints it in for a touchdown. At least that's the hope anyways. When it comes to looking at the tight end though, this might be a bit of a pivot how much damage do you think it did that the bears had a, a tight ends? What was it? None that accounted for a hundred yards receiving. It, it was something yeah. ridiculous.
1: Yeah. Their tight ends were historically bad last year. And I think that did a ton of damage. Um, Nagy has talked in the past about the importance of that role in this offense. And certainly if you think about, you know, Philadelphia with Ertz and Goddard, uh, or, uh, Kansas city with Kelsey, um, this is an offense that typically has really good tight ends. And so having really bad ones hurt them a lot. Um, and Maggie specifically has talked about the importance of that role, um, that U tight end role that uh, Trey Burton played for helping the quarterback read the defense based on how they are defending that position. Um, and I think how defenses defended that position changed quite a bit last year that they didn't have to worry about it much. And that really hurt the offense as a whole. I'm amazed just to key off of that
0: how often I forget we have one. Like even going back to watch those games where Trey Burton's in the game and I go, oh yeah, Trey Burton, we, we did have him. And later in the game, yes, there's a tight end, but it's J.P. Holtz. I'm not watching him either. And if Ben Broniker does catch a ball... outside of the obvious both the really nice catch he had against the lions and the nasty drop he had against the giants you can you can see that depth attitude that these guys aren't starters in waiting necessarily maybe Jesper horstead turns into something truth be told i struggle to project tight ends and it seems like ryan pasted too with adam shaheen neither of them there Uh, but the bears certainly threw resources at the tight end spot and you and I could talk back and forth because I think we're both aware rookie tight ends really tend to struggle, not just statistically, but also in terms of, I mean, they just don't know the position on a human level in the NFL sense. But speaking of that, when it comes to Cole Kmet, what are you hoping for? What what kind of stat line? I know this is high-level thinking, but in the same way that I remember I walked into the 20, 2019 season saying – I need to see Trubisky throw for 4,000 yards. That's what I need. I had that little statistical benchmark that, while a lot of people debated with me, when it didn't happen, it's certainly part of the reason that we're not looking at him calling him a sure thing. So when it comes to Cole Komet, as much as you've seen, is there a number or a benchmark that you say, if he can get on the field for XYZ snaps, if he can pick up XYZ receptions, yards, what are you
1: looking at? What do
0: you think is, if you could get one
1: stat, what would it be? So I actually found three. I did a look at this for all second round tight ends. So tight ends drafted in the second round in the last 10 years um, and how they did as rookies compared to how their career turned out. And I found three kind of indicators that if we got um, the the tight ends that hit all three of these, I'll go through the list in a second, but um, 400 or more snaps. As a rookie, uh, earn 40 or more targets and average at least six yards per target with those 40 targets. Um, the players who hit all three you have Rob Gronkowski, Hunter Henry, Zach Ertz, Dallas Goder, uh, Kyle Rudolph, Jason Morrow, Lance Kendricks, and Kobe Fleener. That's a pretty good list. I think out of yeah. that list, all of them except for Jason Morrow had pretty solid careers, and Amaro. I think, like, hurt his shoulder or something in his second mm-hmm. or third season that kind of torpedoed his career. And the guys who didn't hit that, um, mostly not good. I know that's something that has been sort of
0: funny to talk about when it comes to looking at Cole Cometa's is- as what kind of player does he profile to? Because, of course, we all want the next Travis Kelsey, Zach Ertz, but even a player like Kyle Rudolph, who's, I, I would say, not exactly what Nagy would probably want at the U tight end spot. And Trey Burton, in my opinion, and this is just opinion, I'm totally speculating, that very thin. Not quite a wide receiver, but not really the old-school tight end either sort of build of a human being is more what he sees in terms of the future of the U-tight end. And let's be honest, Colkmet isn't that. He lumbers a little bit. Who wouldn't at 6'6", and very large uh, in terms of his weight, which is not coming to my mind. But even if he turns into that Kyle Rudolph kind of guy, Jason Witten kind of guy, with the Witten, obviously, statistically, he can play uh, or could. But so... Kyle Rudolph, in terms of the size and the general reliability that he brings at that tight end spot, it's it wouldn't be a home run, but it wouldn't be a single either. That'd be pretty nice. So hopefully Kmet can live up to those kinds of expectations and we can get Jimmy Graham moved out. Uh, I'm, I'm not saying as soon as possible, but if the future of the Bears tight end position is Jimmy Graham, then we might need a new future.
1: Yeah, yeah. Um... Usually, what is he, 34, 35, something like that, clearly slowing down. The hope is that he can not completely suck this year before they cut him. (laughs)
0: Mm -hmm. And and that's something, speaking of, that I feel like is almost worth saying is I know that there are plenty of people, myself included, complaining about the terms, the links, and so on and so forth about the Jimmy Graham deal. But you know what? putting the money aside if he does come in in 2020 and he contributes let's say he picks up i don't know 450 yards 500 something like that that'd be pretty neat would it be worth the money we'll talk about that later that's what i always like to say but but at least on the football field that'd be awfully helpful to a team that boy i mean i didn't i didn't think i was going to want to bring this up coming into this podcast but Doesn't it kind of feel like the Bears are really all in
1: on 2020, like in no uncertain terms? Yeah, uh, I wrote an article about that a couple of of weeks ago. I I calculated it out and I think they moved somewhere around $35 million of future cap space into 2020 to be able to afford it between backloading deals or like uh, restructuring deals of guys currently on the roster. It's like an extra 15 to 20% of the cap that they bought for this year that they're going to pay for in the next three or four years. Um, Plus, they have a lot of guys who are getting up there, uh, quite a long list of players who are 30 and older, and quite a short list of proven performers who are 25 or younger, which is where you really want to see uh, a lot of talent. So they have definitely aged quite a bit in um, the last two years, And also a lot of the younger guys, like you think of Adrian Amos, Bryce Callahan, like those guys that they've lost, Leonard Floyd, they've replaced them with older guys, not younger. Plus all of their core has gotten two years older. And so it's uh, they're now all of a sudden an an old team and an expensive team, which means a rebuild is coming at some point.
0: Hopefully we can just turn it into a remodel. That's what I said to Brad from Over the Cap a little while ago, is in theory, hopefully the Bears can win enough in 2020 to where they just need to remodel the kitchen they just need to do a little bit with the interior here and there and they can keep hitting on enough draft picks to not totally rip the foundation up but we'll see we'll move from offense to defense now because i know you also very recently did some work on missed tackles that i thought was really interesting you want to go and tell the audience what you found because (laughs) it certainly surprised me
1: Sure. Um, Pro Football Reference has now two years worth of data on uh, missed tackles and a few other explosive, or sorry, (laughs) explosive's the wrong word. There are a few other advanced defensive stats um, that I also have upcoming work on. But um, so for missed tackles, I just looked at all the main players on Chicago's defense over the last couple of years and how they compared to norms for I split it up into defensive line, linebacker, and secondary. And I found they have a lot of guys in the secondary who have struggled with tackling. Eddie Jackson and Buster Screen are both um, not terribly good at tackling. They miss a lot of tackles, both consistently in the bottom uh, 10 to 20% of defensive backs. And um, they lost Haha Clinton Dix, who's fairly typically average to slightly above average and Prince Amukamara, who's been very consistently for them, a really good tackler who doesn't miss a lot. So perhaps a little bit of concern there Um Deshaun Gibson coming in has um, consistently been a little below average the last few years with missed tackles. Um, the one hope is um, their new rookie coming in, the Jalen Johnson, sorry, blanking on the name there for a second. Um, was really good at that in college, was charted as um, having, I believe, the fewest or lowest rate of missed tackles of any like highly rated cornerback in the draft this year. So you hope that can translate to the NFL. But they have uh, perhaps some issues with tackling in the secondary.
0: It's hilarious, by the way, that you bring up that Jalen Johnson is as good a tackler as he is because the more and more that I watch Johnson's film, the more and more that I see that 2018 Prince of Mukamura in a Utah uniform, the press-type corner, big guy, very physical, sure tackler. It seems kind of like they said, that guy, we want that one, but younger. And certainly if he can overcome those shoulder surgeries, that'd be a huge get if he could turn into that. I know a lot less about projection than EJ Snyder, but at least that's who I see. But what I found most interesting was the Bears' defense wasn't that bad in 2019. In fact, I'd say it was really good, all things considering very tough defensively to statistically compete when your offense is as anemic as the 2019 offenses was and if anything it brings up a really interesting thing i think for hardcore football fans that follow this sort of thing to pay attention to in 2020 as i would have looked at you dead in the eyes and told you buster screen is pretty good in coverage eddie jackson is incredible in coverage kyle fuller Fairly good in coverage. Point being, I could go through the whole defensive core uh, and say a lot of these guys, especially the defensive backs, are rock solid when the ball's in the air. And after the ball is caught, yeah, I mean, you're right. When you talk about Eddie Jackson, I don't think of him as much of a tackler, neither Kyle Kyle Fuller. And it sounds like Buster Screen speaks for himself. One thing I want to ask you just totally off the cuff what's your opinion if you had to pick between that coverage ability and that tackling ability which do you think is more important in the modern NFL based on what you're seeing
1: oh coverage not a doubt in my mind there Um, this isn't really based on work I've done but there's so much work out there from um, better stats people than me who do like league-wide stuff not as like focused on one team about just how important defending the pass is compared to the run um so coverage is the single most valuable skill for any member of your uh, well besides pass rush that's a different argument but if you are a coverage (laughs) player um being good in coverage and bad against the run is a lot better than being good against the run and bad in coverage so i'm i am a-okay with that
0: i think it's hilarious because another thing that your article talked about if memory serves is that roquan smith and danny trevathan who play that inside linebacker 3-4, you-got-to-be-everywhere kind of role, were, I believe, top 4% in terms of tackling ability. They just basically didn't miss anything. And it certainly brought up this interesting dichotomy of a defense that's set up with the pass-rushing beasts that are... Khalil Mack, Robert Quinn, both incredibly productive. I think Akeem Hicks has been criminally underrated and has been maybe not at Aaron Donald's level, purely because Donald's like almost MVP level, but he's been closer than people think. He's been a dominator in that inside. And gracious life, hopefully he comes back from injury, but it is interesting to think that the defense is set up in such a way where that back line, is it doesn't really have that Amory and Amos figure that is the designated tackler I mean, it kind of reminds me of a d- designated hitter in baseball. Adrian Amos was, uh, let's, let's just say, not as great in coverage. Uh, certainly had a great season on the Packers, so I'm not trying to knock him there. But tackling is one of his strengths, and the Bears have gone away from that over the last couple of years. I'm so interested to see how it plays out. Even in the world of that uh, the, the big analytical raging coverage versus pass rush debate. Because the Bears' DBs seem like they're just all coverage all the time right now.
1: Yeah, and I think what they missed some last year that took their defense from great to just good was Hicks being out because what made uh, them so good in 2018, a big part of it was that they could stuff the run in nickel with Hicks and Goldman next to each other as the only two defensive linemen. And so that let them play coverage looks but still stop the run really well. And they couldn't do that as much in 2019 with Hicks out and Goldman banged up. Um, So if they can get that duo uh, back, um, really controlling the line of scrimmage, um, I think that frees up a lot of the other nine defenders to focus more on the pass. Obviously, everybody has to chip in against the run, but those two can do a lot of the dirty work up front there.
0: Totally agree. And I know one thing that it makes me think of, we talked a little while ago on offense about how if certain players don't do their job, don't pull their weight, or very little things go wrong, like we could have talked about the offensive line. We won't have time to. We'll save it for another podcast. Uh, But how poor play in one spot of the field can influence what looks like poor play in another. It felt like Eddie Goldman evaporated after Akeem Hicks won down and I'm not saying that to come down on Eddie Goldman and certainly I know guys like somebody I studied last offseason Bilal Nichols looked like they weren't playing all that well because they were asked to effectively fill in shoe for shoe for Akeem Hicks and the answer is it's just not that many defenders that can do that I mean Akeem Hicks's ability to be a force against the pass while also remaining a extremely effective run defender is like almost one of a kind in the NFL. I can't name that many defensive tackles that are really that good at it though. I think Chris Jones and uh, Aaron Donald certainly come to mind in that vein and oof, I mean is it? you think it's fair to say the Bears kind of need him if they're going to look to make a big push in 2020? Because if Goldman goes down, it feels like you could have a depth lineman replace him at least a little bit. But Akeem Hicks' dual threat effectiveness, you can't get that off the street.
1: Yeah, um, I think given the concerns with the offense, even if the offense can be better, which, Lord willing, than last year, if they're not, they're in trouble. Um I don't think the offense is going to be great. So if they want to ultimately, I mean, they spent all this money. They brought in all these old players. The goal is not just to be okay. The goal is to try to win a Super Bowl, which is going to be really hard without a great quarterback or a great offense. So their defense is going to have to be phenomenal for that to happen. And that means they absolutely need Akeem Hicks firing on all cylinders and Khalil Mack and Robert Quinn probably. But Hicks (laughs) in particular is probably... Because of the overlap sum between Mac and Quinn, I think Hicks might be the least replaceable player on that defense right now.
0: It really feels that way, which is wild to say about franchise at which, I mean, little anecdote, uh, I was in a Madden tournament for SB Nation's video game week last week, and you could ask my wife about it because I remember scrolling through and they had a face of the franchise guy on every, every single team because I hadn't played Madden this year. And as I was scrolling to the Bears, I was like, who's it going to? It's going to be Mac. And it was, because Khalil Mack is the face of the franchise. And to say that he's not the least replaceable defender on the Chicago Bears is a bizarre thing to say. But I kind of think you're right here, that Akeem Hicks is just a -a one-of-a-kind player. And that's not to say Khalil Mack's not. He's an incredibly effective pass rusher. But he isn't going to be holding that middle ground that I think is one of the... So, look, yes, I know the big joke in the analytics community is to establish the run. And everybody loves to quote that almost as a line of humor. But at least based on what I'm seeing, and I'm curious to hear what you think. I do think it's important to stop the middle, like the inside run, because if you can't stop that, a team's going to just bleed you out. But if you can at least stop that and force them outside, it seems as if you can control the pace of the game defensively. And, gosh, if Akeem Hicks isn't the key to that
1: inside rush, I don't know what is. Yeah, I've come to think of that as, like, you know, people say, like, running backs don't matter, the running game doesn't matter. I think it's more just there's such an abundance of talent at that position that, like, everybody can get a decent running back just off the street. We've seen so many examples of that in, like, C.J. Anderson with the Rams. Was that last year or two years ago? It was two years ago, but...
0: The point Teams stands. are
1: signing guys off the street at the end of the season who are free agents, and they're running for a hundred yards three days after signing. Like, there's mm-hmm. just enough good running backs to go around, which is very rare in the NFL. Most positions don't have enough good players. Mm-hmm. Um, so, but yeah, I mean, you're still right in that there's a need to like stopping the run still matters, and to some extent, especially to a lot of defensive coordinators, um, and especially if a lot of offensive coordinators are going to insist on continuing to run on early downs, it's important to be able to do it to force them into now they're behind the chains and they have to throw. And if you know what they're going to do, if you can make them one dimensional, then they become much easier to defend. And that's what the two 2018 bears were so good at was they could line up a nickel on early downs, stuff the run, and now they can pin their ears back and come after you. And line up their coverages to confuse you because they know you're throwing the ball and they're not worried about the run and that makes defending it a lot easier
0: i think you just nailed it like the gears are turning in my head i i feel it i i think you nailed this a lot of the need to, to stop the run may very well come from the fact that offensive coordinators have been and likely will continue to run heavily on those early downs and if you can stuff that run Like you're saying, I remember the 2018 Bears did this all the time. Second and 11, second and 12, second and 10. Those were so common. It was like throwing it down away. I remember in that big game against the 2018 uh, Vikings, the Bears started it with just a cataclysmic run stuff where Dalvin Cook got absolutely nowhere. And then on third down, they tried it again, and I think it was a three-yard loss. And it's just wild to think about what that early stuff can do. Last question and I'm going to put you on the spot. So just get ready for this. When you've taken a look at the stats, where do you think Roquan is in terms of other inside linebackers around the NFL? And what kind of year do you think he's going to have next year in 2020?
1: Yeah, that's been a big, uh, debate. I've seen floating around Twitter on a bunch of both bears people, (laughs) but national people too. There were a lot of really good inside linebackers who came out of that 2018 draft. Um, I honestly don't like that's That's such a hard position to quantify statistically. Like I don't care if somebody got 130 tackles, that doesn't mean you're better than somebody who got 120 because there's so much you do besides that. And I don't watch enough of the non bears to try to compare how good he is intelligently to like, um, there's a dude from Buffalo. There's from Vander, Dallas, Vander Esch in Dallas. Vander there's Jalen the, Smith. Yeah. There's, there's a
0: lot of really good linebackers. From the there, there are,
1: and, but I think Roquan is really good too when he's on. What we haven't seen is the consistency to like say, yeah, this guy's like a Luke kukli level superstar. I think we've seen him play at that level for individual games, but he hasn't strung it together where he's you count on that every week. Mm-hmm. And so the hope is he can do that this year. I don't pretend to know if it's going to happen, um, but again, I keep going back to 2018 because that defense was just so good. But if you remember it was really down the stretch that year that they really became dominant. Like the first half of the year they had, they had that game against Miami. They had the game against new England, like their bad games all came early when Mac was hurt and they had traded for Mac, like right before the season. So he was getting up to speed after no camp. Roquan had the holdout and didn't even start week one. And once Roquan and Mac both got really going. It was when that defense took it to a whole other level. I think the second half of 2018, um, opposing quarterbacks averaged like a 65 passer rating against the Bears or something like that. And that included like some solid, I mean, yeah, it was some like rookie Josh Allen and some not good quarterbacks, but also some solid veterans. And they just nobody Nobody dominated. had done to the
0: Rams. Nobody had done to the Rams what the Bears did to the Rams. And yeah, I know New
1: England did it later that year but it was brand new. Nobody saw that coming, to your point. Yeah, and that needed, like, I think Roquan Smith, the second half of 2018, played at an all-pro level. Um, and I was expecting him to come in last year and really dominate like that. And we saw it in individual games where he was great, but he was really inconsistent last year, had whatever that off-field problem was, you know, and then got hurt right as he seemed to be kind of pulling out of that. But I think if he can... Sh- show consistently that top level form that we've seen glimpses of in stretches then yeah he might not make all pro but he'll he'll be playing at that level and that would really really help the bears
0: absolutely it would and i'll tell you that when it comes to me personally i'm just going to shamelessly admit a bias right now i am biased against will linebackers after years of watching those heavy set linebackers like uh, Ray Lewis, Brian Urlacher. I know he's not even the biggest guy in terms of Bears history, but he was fearless when it come to came to taking on a lead block and would win. I mean, as often as he could. And the guy's a Hall of Famer for a reason, so let that speak for itself. Roquan Smith has a penchant for getting blocked really hard when it comes to somebody getting their hands on him, especially a lineman. He can get sealed off pretty easily, and it's always sort of struck me. That Danny Trevathan, who generally speaking, if we're honest, is kind of the same size, is, as, is so much more physical at that point of attack mm-hmm. than Roquan Smith is. That said, it's undeniable, a lot of the stuff you just talked about, because when Roquan's on, he's everywhere. He's the kind of guy who, very similarly to Erlacher, you're double-taking when you're watching the television thinking, wasn't, wasn't he over there? How did he make that tackle? And that's something that if we can see more of that, that flash of lightning, I remember you and I saw it in camp at one point where Roquan was tracking Tariq Cohen, a much faster player, all the way to the sidelines in a blur. If we can see more of that coming off his pectoral injury, which is a little strange, but hopefully he recovers from it more like Watt than, say, Jarrell Freeman. Then I think he's set up for a really, really nice season. And I certainly hope he can live up to that billing. Not just for the sake of Ryan Pace. I mean, there's... Of course, the uh, the hindsight points to be scored with good uh, with with good play, but also because, like you're saying, I mean, Danny Trevathan's not going to be around forever. Uh, certainly, his deal suggests that he might be, with, given that I think it runs through 2025. But at some point, Roquan's got to take that mantle of the number one linebacker, and I certainly hope he can. Coming up, Jonathan, this has been awesome. 48 minutes flew by. Go ahead and let the listeners know where they can find
1: you uh, and your work online. Sure. Um, I'm mainly interacting on Twitter at uh, Jonathan underscore Wood. Maybe a one in there. I honestly I think don't think there's remember. a one. I think there's another <laughs> Sorry, one. there is a one. <laughs> Thanks. And uh, my articles come out on uh, www.dubearsblog.com. Um, have stuff coming up the next couple weeks looking at advanced defensive stats on coverage and pass rush uh, for individual Bears players. I think there's some interesting stuff to look at there, so uh, look for those. Awesome. Thank you so much for coming on, Jonathan. Pleasure having you. Thanks for having me. Always a good time. Folks,
0: that's going to do it for this episode of Bear With Me. If you like what I have to say, feel free to follow me on Twitter over at R-O-B-E-R-T-K-S-C-H-M-I-T-Z, Robert K. Schmitz. And feel free to comment on the Windy City Gridiron article or on the tweet that's going to go out promoting the show itself, what you'd like to hear about as we move into the next few weeks of the offseason, which are some of the last. Thank you guys so much for listening. And until next time, bear down. And thanks so much for bearing with me.